0: Welcome to the b-sides a podcast for progressives who love pop music we're your hosts i'm hannah i'm mimi and i'm becky
1: tune in for new episodes every other wednesday to hear our conversations on pop's place in our world
2: and the music you should put in your ears to fuel your reckoning with the trash fires all around us thanks for tuning in here we go
0: welcome to the b-sides hello hello hi everyone welcome to the b-sides we are a podcast for people who love carly ray jepson and want to see the fall of capitalism in our time and if that's you we're so glad you're here today we're going to talk about inflection points in artists careers those moments when an artist just tried something new and things were never the same we'll remind ourselves that nothing is inevitable We are a part of history, et cetera, and will hone our ability to analyze choices that artists make or ways that they respond to choices that were outside of their control. For example, uh, choices that George Bush made. This is just a preview. (laughs) So subscribe if you haven't already. We come out every other Wednesday, so subscribing makes it way easier to keep up and open up the description of this episode to find other ways to join this internet home. And I want to say this is especially a relevant request because actually we won't be coming out every other Wednesday for much longer. We only have a few more episodes left in this season as Becky was telling us in the last episode. And then the B-Sides podcast is like low-key, maybe, probably, but who knows, coming to an end, which is wild. We've had an iconic four years, if we do say so ourselves. We hope to still use this feed every once in a while. Who knows what the future has in store, but for, you know, no, no plans right now for a season four. And we'll miss you all on this feed. We hope you'll miss us in your ears. Yeah, for sure. So
2: you should definitely join us on the internet. The link to join our discord is in the show notes. You can also join us on Instagram. We're very active there. And we also have a TikTok, Twitter a Facebook, which are all linked in the show notes. Our discord especially isn't going anywhere. So if you think you'll find yourself missing pop music analysis, the discord will be the place to be. So basically we're not sure about a next season, but the community will live on no matter what. There'll be no discord in the discord,
0: (laughs) (laughs) nothing discordant. Yeah, absolutely. We I mean I think that we couldn't stop the Discord if we tried. You know what I'm saying? Like it's that's that train has left the building. Is that the phrase? That's the train has left the station. The train has left the station. Um (laughs) I would like to see you try though. Yeah, we should we should try as a social experiment. Okay. Just kidding, Discord participants. We're not going anywhere. Okay. Yeah. So um, thanks for your love and thanks for joining us on the internet. And why don't we get into today's episode, shall we? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if we're going to have a whole episode about inflection points, we probably should define for ourselves what is an inflection point as it relates to music. And Mimi, this episode idea, I believe was yours. Um, so I think that you are very well-placed to define inflection point for us all?
2: Yeah, well, I think inflection points are an undercurrent of a lot of our episodes um, and show up in life all the time. I would say an inflection point is a moment of big possibility where something could have gone multiple ways and something did go in a different direction often often drastically. This is one of the things that drew me to study history and to work in K-12 education, knowing that nothing people do is truly inevitable, is a really powerful reframing. And it's also true. It goes against what we're usually taught and what seems obvious but is not true, which is that history and our lives are just like a series of inevitable, inevitable events. And that progress is a straight line, just generally going up for decades and decades, all sorts of things like that, which can make us complacent. And I'm Mm -hmm. talking um, about that with my like history educator hat on, Mm -hmm. but really like the course of history always involves choices. It occasionally involves radical breaks in the state of things. And all of that is true for us today, too, because we're also a part of history. We're also ancestors to future generations. We're also building legacies and setting up the world for them. And not every moment we're going to talk about today is that deep on its own. <laughs> uh, but revisiting inflection points, these moments of big possibility that in retrospect often feel inevitable, like we can't imagine on the surface things a different way that often feel inevitable, but we're not can teach us a lot about culture, can reveal a lot about the different forces at work, and can help us recognize what choices and possibilities are available to us in society today. Mm -hmm. Exploring counterfactuals, aka examining what did not happen in pop culture, pop music, helps us understand it all better. And it's also just very, it's a very interesting and often fun exercise, I do feel.
0: I totally agree and I think that um sometimes it helps to paint a picture of what something is like you know of of what a definition is by sharing a counterexample. So um in addition to the definition of what an inflection point is an example of what it's not is an artist like Megan Trainer which also Mimi was your idea to talk about because so funny basically like Megan Trainer has not had any inflection points in her career, which is honestly a feat. And in some ways, like, we're really proud of her. Like, good job, Megan. Way to just be the same. Just She is mother. <laughs> What'd she you say? Mother.
2: <laughs> well, that's what's so, like, funny, kind of, is that she clearly had a lot of things that happened in her life and in her personal. She's a mother now, like yep. Becky said. But at the same time, she's been in 2014 this whole time. You know what I mean? Like both and. So, um, yeah, I think that she's just an interesting example because she doesn't, she seems actually trapped in 2014 in a way that she seems yeah. okay with, but I'm a little concerned for her.
1: No, Yeah, it's like her career hasn't really, like, moved because she hasn't really taken any risks, but she's just, like, a constant. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm sure for her she feels she's taken risks. I'm sure. But mm-hmm. from the outside, yeah, there hasn't been like a moment of. I mean, I think another way to, to think about an inflection point is a moment where there's a like a before and an after. And I can't figure out a moment. Besides, I mean, besides the besides all about that bass being her moment, her first, you know, getting on the scene, that there was like a before and after for Megan Trainer. Right.
2: Yeah. That's beautiful in a way.
0: No one's gonna be like, you know, that song Me Too. <laughs> that was that there there was nothing this it was never the same after that or her it song no or whatever you know yeah yeah all those, you know,
2: those random song always the same after yeah
0: exactly
2: exactly it's almost soothing
0: yeah i love that for her mm-hmm. great all right let's get into it
2: okay so we have three categories today and then a catch-all category at the end a lightning round if you will <laughs> will you? You will. In, in each category, we'll answer the questions, what happened? What
1: was inevitable? What wasn't? And what does this tell us? So let's get started with category one, albums as inflection points. Albums are always a chance for reinvention and artists frequently, if not always, use new album cycles as a chance to enter a quote unquote new error, which as we know, Taylor Swift, she loves her eras. Love but Harris. sometimes the albums themselves mark not only a serious shift from their previous work, but also from the person they feel they were perceived to be. And with that, there's simply no turning back, as we will learn from, I would argue, more of the era's queen uh, than Miss Swift.
0: That's it. Okay. So we're going to look at one from this category. And the era's queen that Becky is referring to is Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus, whose new album just dropped. But we're taking it back to 2013 with her album, Bangers. So we want to talk about Bangers as an inflection point. And then maybe we can think about what a counterfactual, I don't know, might have been for that, for this moment. So what happened? Miley's 2013 album, Bangers, brought us hits like We Can't Stop and Wrecking Ball and iconic B-sides like F.U. and Someone Else. I i really love this album It's It has really, really good songs on it. It was her fifth album. Um, It was preceded by Meet Miley Cyrus, Breakout, The Time of Our Lives, and Can't Be Tamed. Those were her first four albums. But in some ways, honestly, it feels like her first album. Like it's her first hit album. The goal of this era, at least as far as we could tell from the outside, was to cement a bad girl, I'm not a Disney kid look. But it was also her cultural appropriation era she um maybe she's had a few of those but this was definitely the biggest she absolutely used blackness as a signifier for her deliberate fall from grace her love of partying her tougher edge and to be clear especially in 2013 black led black forward music was incredibly commercially successful so you know that helped her too there were six features on this album five of them were black artists Nelly, Big Sean, Future, Ludacris, and French Montana. Actually the sixth was Britney Spears, but that's uh, uh, interesting. And now of course the problem with cultural appropriation will always be that black people are humans, not props. And it's unethical at best and harmful at worst to use an entire population of marginalized humans to sell a brand or sell an album. And this era was complex because There's like so much going on here. It was so cringe, right? Like thinking about the, we can't stop booty slaps, like in the, in the music video where she's like slapping black women's butts. Um, I'm also thinking of like the Robin Thicke VMAs performance was so cringe. I don't know if there are other cringe moments from that era that we should highlight. I think those were the big ones. So I, and
2: I'm, and we watched that together and the VMAs. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the VMAs performance. Yeah, that was tough.
0: Yeah. So it's very complex because those things were happening, but also like Bangers itself in my opinion and a lot of people agreed is like a really good album. It's really good. So it's not all cringe. So that's mm-hmm. what happened. So what was inevitable about this moment? In my opinion, it's totally inevitable that the Disney girl wants a bad girl rebrand in music and in aesthetics. That just like not a surprise there. What wasn't inevitable? Um, a few things. Uh, one is that it does not feel inevitable to me that this album was so good. Meaning, like, I don't know, I think it could have been random. I think it could have been bad. I think it could have been cringe. I I don't know. And I think it I really like a lot of the songs. Um I think Wrecking Ball is like a masterpiece. Like, I love that song. And I don't think that that was inevitable. Other thing not inevitable is that Miley Cyrus would look so good with the bleached pixie undercut. Like, who knew? Maybe that's my personal opinion that I thought she looked good. So, what does this tell us? Disney girls are gonna rebel. That we know, that we've always known. But the specifics of this moment I think are pretty fascinating. Like, you know, how much she benefited from a proximity to blackness is complicated. She never really did. She never really embarked on an era that so embraced Black artists and music again. There are Black artists featured on her 2019 album, or maybe it's an EP, I don't remember, called She Is Coming. And of course, you know, Black people invented rock and roll, so Plastic Hearts has that lineage to thank, maybe, but that's a little bit of a stretch. Ultimately, this was a short-lived rebellion era. It was meant to push her into contemporary relevance and then served as a perfect fall guy for her 2017 album called *Younger Now*, which was all about how that time in her life was excessive, um, in that album's rollout, so now we're talking about the after of this, she she was like giving interviews condemning hip hop culture as misogynistic, and it's like, who asked you? Excuse you. Anyway. Yeah, that was like a really frustrating moment to witness in real time. I remember uh, putting out a B-Sides newsletter, like uh, really frustrated about that, of like having it, it was so convenient for her to embrace black music and then so convenient to her to distance herself from it. Um. So anyway, Bangers was definitely the natural succession of 2010s Can't Be Tamed in terms of like being a bad girl, but it was bigger, it was better, and it was way more successful. And, and you know, was like, really cemented her as an artist who was going to be around for a long time, um, even when she was done with the Disney machine behind her. And from then on, she proved that she was an artist who was going to be reborn with every album and era, um, which was not the case. Her first few albums were like pretty linear, pretty straightforward, and that she'd be a chameleon musically with whatever is in the ether, um, while also in some ways showing us like a fundamental core Of her as an artist, which is pushing boundaries, embracing the uniqueness of her voice, being naked and having fun. Whatever genre she tackles, she will be doing those those things. Mimi, Becky, curious your thoughts about this inflection point.
1: It's funny. I just looked up um, when the Miley Cyrus Salvia bong hit was thinking that (laughs) it was close and in line with bangers. And it's not. Um, It's like three years prior to bangers or yeah, like three ish. And so I, I think, obviously, like, as you say, the rebellion was, like, going to happen because she was a child star. And, like, more oftentimes than not, we see, like, a child star try to reinvent their image in a way that's, like, sexy and, like, not the little child that you've grown up knowing. Um, but I do think she's more so of the uh, different kind of errors than almost any artist, because she just has she just her voice sounds great and so many different
0: mm-hmm. sounds.
1: And I love this new album. And she's kind of like back to her like hop, uh rockish roots. Like maybe totally. she's like an arrow that's a circle.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting with her. I mean, and it's interesting talking about all of this and, and sort of like what was the push with all of these, what what is sort of like the, the domino that's pushed that leads to a chain of events, you know? Yeah. Like if she weren't a child star, she would not have had a banger's era most likely. Right. Even if she were a star later on, like, even if she were, she was famous when she was 17, she also has a father totally. who's famous and stuff. So that's, that was not going to happen that way. Uh, anyway, but yeah, I think she's so interesting because she is sort of like fluid in all of the things that she does and the way she approaches everything and is like you said a chameleon ready to change all the time but her voice is so consistent um and unmistakable and works in all of these different genres so she's a very she's a very interesting person in that way like we talked last week about how avril's voice is not it was not consistent and changed and a lot. And Miley, I don't feel that way at all, despite how many, um, despite how many eras she tries on. But I do think of course, as you said, this was a problematic era for all the reasons you said. And, and, um, and I know we've talked about this before, but I just like, whenever I, whenever we talk about her, I think of how she says that she dies every night and wakes up. I just have never heard anyone else say that before. And so I just feel like that on a micro scale, like leads to all of these different, um, inflection points with bangers being the biggest one for sure. And the biggest, um, departure from anything that she did before or since then.
0: And I think in terms of like counterfactuals, there's like a version of this 2013 album that was like straight pop mm-hmm. and you know you never know but that's the fun thing about counterfactuals is you can make something up and no one can say that's wrong <laughs> I don't think it would have been I don't think she would still be as famous as she is today if she had done a straight pop album like through it for the rest like if if her if her next four albums were the same as her first four albums I just don't see it. I don't know why she would stay on the charts. I don't know why people would stay interested in her. I think they would say that's a, you know, child star who's, you know, tried to make it and and is over now.
2: Yeah. Unless it were like the best pop album we've ever heard or it
0: were invent, it was
2: in you know, if it was something inventive in a different way, but I think that's not, we're just talking about her being on the same path. I think you're right. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have made a splash the same way.
0: And the fact that she's still relevant today is like, is something that's not inevitable. And we should be like Mm -hmm. aware of that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Great. Thanks, Miley.
1: Okay. And uh, just moving on briefly to some honorable mentions for others in this similar category. We've obviously talked about Miss Swift. Her name has been brought up, but you could similar... Similarly, to compare to Reputation, you know, I think even 1989 was like a break, uh, an inflection point in the change in her going from uh, country to pop. Um, Beyonce's self-titled, which we'll speak about briefly later. There's a clear before and after that album for Beyonce's career. Solange, you know, and if you keep listening to our podcast in two weeks, we'll be doing a nice comparison between Beyonce and Solange. Anyway, her mm-hmm. album... <laughs> A seat at the table and Ariana Grande's infamous thank you next. And we
0: have Pete Davidson to thank for that. Mother. No. Mother, Megan. <laughs> that was my biological mother. It wasn't Megan, Megan Trainer being <laughs> not like, Megan Trainer. Knock,
2: knock. I heard what you
0: said, <laughs> and I have an inflection point for you. It's like you're wrong because one time I pooped next to my husband and I talked about it. I told everybody that I do that. And that was an inflection point for me personally. Do you guys remember and that, is that my real? baby looks like a cartoon character? Yes. Yeah. She, um, she and her husband have two toilets and they like to, they like talked about how they like to poop next to each other at the same time. Um, I really, really hate that. Yeah. That's I cool. think it's fine to do. Just don't tell anybody about it. That's, that's like a, that's mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm.
2: That's, that's for you. Yeah. You're violating other people's not wanting to know things like that. When you like, you're not violating your own privacy, but you're violating <laughs> other people's right to not yeah. know things to like not that. know that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, with that, let's take a quick break. Maybe I'll call my mom back. And when we come back, we'll dive into category two. I'm not going to call my mom back. <laughs> you should leave that in.
2: <laughs> Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey?
1: <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer.
0: They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
2: And we're back. Okay, so category two is, buckle up, global events, okay? So sometimes an inflection point is a choice an artist makes. Sometimes it it is that to some degree, but it's, it's foisted upon them by the music industry. And sometimes it's foisted upon them by the world or <laughs> world leaders making um, just like really, you know, terrible decisions as they do. So let's look at two examples for this one. Okay, so first we're going to talk about Mariah Carey. Here's what we're talking about, here's what happened. We have we have a longer rundown actually and a context and analysis of this in two episodes if you can believe it. Episode 37, What's in a feud and episode 38, Art Flop and Glitter Bomb. Um I'm still proud of that title. Really good. So there's more context there, but let's let's talk a little bit here. So basically We're talking the summer of 2001. Mariah Carey is working on uh, the rollouts of her album and film, Glitter. She had just gone through a terrible divorce from music producer Tommy Mottola. And he set in motion a plan for J.Lo's team to steal the sample and, and rapper from Loverboy, Ja Rule, shortly before its release for I'm Real. And Mariah then had to scramble basically to pick up the pieces of that. In July of 2001, she makes a strange, very famous appearance on MTV's TRL. She had a great long-standing relationship with MTV, and she was there as a quote unquote surprise guest, a.k.a. everyone in production knew she's going on the show because you can't just go on the show like that. Uh, There's a lot of security and whatnot, but they make it look like a surprise. So she comes out singing her new song, Loverboy, like off camera. Uh, She gives the audience ice cream, the host at the time, the VJ Carson Daly basically like negs her and she and like acts like he's really surprised and it's weird that she's there. She lets everyone know kind of offhand that she's exhausted and wants a day off and people find the whole thing amusing, I think, on the show, which makes sense, but also like after and through the years after And then she's hospitalized a week later for exhaustion. So Glitter's release dates, the soundtrack and the film, are both delayed. And the media has a field day reporting on her quote-unquote breakdown. And there's a lot of negative publicity surrounding it, aka people villainizing her for being exhausted. Virgin Media, who she's working with on these projects, agreed to postpone the film from August 31st to September 21st. And the album from August 21st to Yes!, September 11th,
1: 2001.
2: Oops. So, the you could argue there are a lot of inflection points here. We're not we're not going into like what could have changed about her mental health, or you know if she weren't with Tommy Mottola before, if J Lo weren't you know all these different things. The inflection point we're talking about as a global event is 9/11. So, oops, 9/11 happens. Now, (laughs) there are very few times. When you can blame a, you know, a pop music or movie flop directly on 9-11, but we've got something here. There is an image of the glitter poster in front of the collapsing Twin Towers. So no one cared about glitter anymore after that, at least not as an actual, you know, artistic intervention. And uh, Virgin Media quickly dropped Mariah in early 2002 In a post 9-11 world, immediately, US media and consumers doubled down on, you know, the time-honored tradition of building women up and tearing them down, especially black women, starting with Mariah Carey and glitter. The fear and anger of late summer, fall, 2001, I think incentivized the sort of escape into something less serious through bullying. Like, a lot of people had their minds made up about Mariah and Glitter, and the momentum was too much to shift the other way, um, especially once 9-11 hit. So, you know, news of her music and movie flop, inextricable from her quote-unquote breakdown, was on magazines, talk shows, radio, everywhere. So, what was inevitable about this? Um, Well, I I have difficulty calling anything really inevitable, but I would say by that moment, the misogyny and racism that already pervaded the moment was probably inevitable. Like, you know, that over the summer, Mariah's admission that she was incredibly stressed and exhausted was completely unacceptable to most mainstream media and audiences at the time, especially when coming from a Black woman. But I do struggle to say that this sort of thing is always inevitable. You know, like we... make new choices we can radically break from the state of things what feels more inevitable is simply actually that something a little lighter that trends come back around and mariah was kind of bound to make a sort of glitzy fun 80s nostalgia album as she was trying to do with glitter what wasn't inevitable i suppose we could argue that delaying the album and movie was not inevitable and then they would have come out weeks sooner But I don't think that makes a huge difference on its own, given the already entrenched media narrative around Mariah and what the world would become soon after. Uh, 9-11 was inevitable from Mariah Carey's perspective and our perspectives as children, because she had no control over this attack or tragedy, unless there's something I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I know enough to know that. Uh, But 9-11 is not at all inevitable in that the writing was on the wall geopolitically, but George Bush was very much asleep at the wheel and Bill Clinton before him, you know, made his own war hawk decisions in the 90s that led up to it. So there was a lot, there was a lot going on there. Uh, Without 9-11, if we're talking about counterfactuals, after which most cultural moments were subsumed into a very tense energy that left very little room for anything that was not strictly or subtextually patriotic, Or like non-controversial from that perspective, from that perspective, especially right after uh, as glitter is supposed to debut. I think this album might have been much more appreciated, and maybe even the film more so on some level. Even though it is like a silly, it is a silly film, but it is a great album. Um, I you know on the face of it, like two thousand one would have been a great time for 80s nostalgia, similar to how 2010 was kind of when 90s nostalgia came back around and so on. And now like, you know, early 2000s nostalgia. So right. I have said previously that it's as if everyone had already decided in the summer of 2001 that it was Mariah's time to unravel and they were excited to see it happen. But we'll never know for sure if that was meant to continue through the rest of the year or if Glitter would have actually like quote, redeemed her had it not been released against the literal backdrop of the Twin Towers collapsing. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh my god. So I guess I'll wrap by saying Mariah later said of of the Glitter soundtrack and her experience, quote, I released it on September 11, 2001. The talk shows needed something to distract from 9-11. I became a punching bag. I was so successful that they tore me down because my album was at number two instead of number one. The media was laughing at me and attacked me, end quote. Now we see that, now. so today we see the album as ahead of its time, even as a nostalgia piece in terms of its sound and guest features. In fact, uh, we were just talking about bangers and all the features on that. Something that was criticized about this album is how many features there were, which became such a popular right thing to do and seen as like art in a, in a different way, that sort of collaboration. Uh, We, and I guess I'm talking about all of us societally have also taken steps forward and steps back and then more steps forward and then back and forward and how we treat celebrities, especially black women giving them their due and their flowers and naming the systems that work against them. But the early 2000s set us back in so many ways and gave extra license to uh surveillance and policing, which is actually never good historically. Um, the so the what if 9-11 had never happened counterfactuals are almost too enormous to name for this and in all of our lives, but you know, this narrative is one of them. And I think what this tells us is that luckily, first this wasn't career-ending for Mariah. And that's definitely a testament to her work and talent. She bounced back in 2003, 2004, and is so loved today for her illustrious career. People even appreciate Glitter now. Just search hashtag Justice for Glitter on Twitter and enjoy. But I do think it shows us that, one, nothing is guaranteed, and we're all just hoping things work out, like we're hoping to follow through. But sometimes things get in the way, and sometimes they obliterate our plans, as 9-11 did for so many people in so many countries and areas of life, truly. And two, I think that in a big crisis, fear, sadness, and anger are usually channeled into attacking the most vulnerable among us. I don't actually think that. I know that. Uh, I'm not saying that Mariah Carey was the most vulnerable among us regular people, but in the world of celebrities at the time, like you could consider her in in that kind of place. So as Trey Green wrote in Mike in September 2021, which is a great article that we can link, around the 20th anniversary of Glitter, quote, the rhetoric surrounding Glitter reflects the broader lack of respect and concern for the emotional and physical safety of Black women that continues to be an issue decades after its release, end quote. And that's my thesis. Uh yeah any any thoughts on this inflection point anything coming up for you
0: just a reminder of like how um how much we got it wrong like what the narrative was about glitter um and about Mariah in general in this moment and how like it's not just that we told the story badly it's that we told the story like wrong you know um, the 9-11 of it all the exhaustion of it all the racism of it all like I just think a lot of that was buried or ignored and the story about glitter is that it was a flop and to put this all in context is like it's not just important it's it's just being truthful mm-hmm. it also makes me happy to know
1: that uh, Mariah really rebounded from this inflection point too yeah not all not all people do
0: right yeah that's, Absolutely. I mean, as you were saying, like, that's a testament to her hard work and talent. And I think mm-hmm. that's not inevitable at all. Like, totally. I think that, a uh, uh, I was going to say weaker person. I don't mean that as a judgment, uh, you know, but a person with less resiliency tools and less talent would have said like, you know, fuck this. I'm, I'm done. This is over.
2: Hmm. Yeah. And someone who I guess didn't, well, I don't know. I was going to say someone who I guess didn't already have like a bunch of hits and an established career from the nineties, but those. I don't know that that's actually true. I think it's I think it's a testament to to her. I agree. Um and yeah, we as a society got a lot of things wrong, including all of that, including the narrative around 9/11. Uh, which I think we're going to talk about a little more next.
0: Yes, yeah, we still t- we should talk about 9/11 again a little bit. We always are a little we bit. We always are. <laughs> okay, great. Let's go into our second, uh, second our our second of two, um, examples of inflection points about global events in this category. So our second example is, of course, the chicks. So this is just a few years later. So we've set a great scene of the, bl- uh, you know, blind patriotism of these early aughts. So, uh, let's talk about what happened to the chicks in two thousand three. Once again, if you want a full rundown and context and analysis, this is also something we really like love to talk about. So you'll if you like this topic, you'll really enjoy episode 21 of our podcast. It was called The Chicks Are All Punk. We've linked it in the description. So in 2003, lead chick Natalie Maines had just had a mostly fun and quickly over public feud with the singer Toby Keith about his song. Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue, in parentheses, the Angry American. She famously said, (laughs) Mimi is shaking her head. That's the only only appropriate reaction to a title like that. First of all, it's clunky. Second of all, it's stupid. Okay. Um, Natalie famously said, it's ignorant and it makes country music sound ignorant. So Natalie and Toby, they have a little back and forth. It was controversial, but the chicks didn't suffer much from it at all. They even performed the anthem at the Super Bowl around this time. So like mostly it was okay. But then a month later, we have an inflection point. And I'm actually going to quote from episode 21 because Mimi wrote something that I just thought she she really nailed it and there's nothing else to say. So I'm just going to I'm going to quote it. They go on what's called the top of the world tour, which is the tour for their album home. And on. March 10th, 2003, in London, at their first show of the tour, Natalie Maines is introducing "Travelin' Soldier, a cover that is taking off, and it's a song about a teenage girl waiting for a teenage army soldier to return from war and learns that he dies overseas. And this is happening while the U.S. is sending a lot of young people to Afghanistan to fight a fake war on terror and is about to invade Iraq in 10 days due to American imperialism masquerading as weapons of mass destruction. And she says to this European ass crowd in London, although the UK was also a part of this joint invasion of Iraq, that's different. Natalie says, just so you know, we're on the good side with y'all. We do not want this war, this violence, and we're ashamed that the president of the United States is from Texas. It's queen shit. It's a big deal. What ensued is the most pervasive, violent backlash to a pop music artist in decades. You can look up videos of organized protests in the U.S. where one of the activities is just like ritualistically bulldozing their albums. Their songs were pulled from country radio. They received death threats. They were booed at awards shows. They were no longer selling out massive venues. In short, they became the most hated act in the country establishment when they were so adored like not even a year prior. End quote of former us, aka Mimi, in episode twenty one. So that's what happened. So what was inevitable about this moment? Um, well, the war—I mean, the, the warning rock was like definitely not inevitable. That's a different story, or is it? Maybe it's not a different story. But I will say that backlash to this kind of statement during this time, this post glitter, post post-9-11 time backlash does feel inevitable but what wasn't inevitable just how big of a backlash it was I-, I think um how big of a deal this was and how they essentially like never fully recovered they were truly on top of the world as their tour name album name suggested and listen they're definitely still a successful band today the three of us saw their concert last year it was like you know a pretty packed crowd but you know they released an album in 2006 and then not another one until Gaslighter in 2020. It's a long time. Um, what's also not inevitable, and what I think is really a sweet uh, outcome of this, was just how good their musical rebuttal was, which was their iconic song, Not Ready to Make Nice. Like, oh my God, that song's amazing. We talk about it on this podcast all the time. So to kind of complicate the after of this inflection point, their 2006 album was called Taking the Long Way, and it actually won five Grammys, including Album of the Year, Record of the Year, and Song of the Year for Not Ready to Make Nice. So it wasn't like they were immediately canceled and never made music again. Like, n- no, they're they're still doing great a few years later, but it seems like this is a very complicated time. Country artists were distancing themselves from the chicks and just embracing unquestioning patriotism um they have interesting quotes about this moment um there's an interview with the UK's Daily Telegraph where um band member Emily says a lot of artists cashed in on being against what we said or what we stood for because that was promoting their career which was a horrible thing to do a lot of pandering started going on and you'd see soldiers and the american flag in every video it became a sickening display of ultra patriotism end quote and then natalie had a brilliant comment on patriotism in that same interview saying the entire country may disagree with me but i don't understand the necessity for patriotism yes natalie why do you have to be a patriot about what this land is our land why you can like where you live and like your life, but as for loving the whole country, I don't see why people care about patriotism. End quote. I love this for her. I love that she's just like, still like, you know.
2: That's an amazing quote. I'm obsessed. Yeah.
0: It's so real. It's so true. And it shows that she wasn't, you know, that's another thing. Like what's not inevitable is that they didn't get completely spooked, right? Like we saw there, you know, at the tour we went on we went to last year, they were speaking out about world leaders. Like they're still, there's they still feel very political. It's like a part of their brand now. I wonder if they if that was kind of again like foisted on them, but they Mm -hmm. kind of like made the most of it. Should we paint a really quick picture of the green screens? Yes, please do.
2: (laughs) Okay. During uh, one of their songs, they had green screens of it was like an ocean with a sea monster and then Putin was there floating along and then the sea monster like grabbed him and ate him or something like that. And then, uh, there were a few, you know, the, you know, the ones the the conservative Supreme court, the conservative wing, which is six people of the Supreme court, uh, floating along on like a raft and then and then that went up in flames um so they did a little bit of that which feels
0: like a continuation of this it was amazing Mm -hmm. what a moment yeah so they definitely like this this is who they are this is their opinion and I think that they got pushed into having it into holding it even more strongly which is interesting um Yeah. And the other thing to say about this time for them was that the tour for this album, even though it was Grammy winning and all those things, it did not do well. And in fact, they even needed to cancel some shows due to poor sales. So after that, they did a few things for sure, but they were mostly on hiatus until 2020. So what does this tell us? You know, we talk about this post 9-11 time. Mimi has coined the phrase, the cultural void for you know, all the reasons that that name implies. And what this tells us is that the cultural void wasn't just a void meaning an emptiness, but a void meaning that it sucked everything good into it and turned everything around it dark and bad. And we hate that. And it also means that cancel culture only ever really has consequences for people who threaten the power structure. This had a huge chilling effect on artists artists didn't want to be like the Dixie chicks. Like that was like a fear that artists, even Taylor Swift have like really shown that they made decisions after this moment about what to say and what not to say based on how badly everything went for the chicks. And it honestly, it seems like the course of artists you know speaking out or not speaking out about politics didn't really reverse until Trump was elected and then basically I mean it still hasn't really reversed in many ways so that's that's that inflection point anything to add or share I think this is great and I think
2: that your point about it not being inevitable well first of all they couldn't they could have just said nothing and had an easy ride and so this shows that they are, you know, those two sentences that Natalie said very publicly and never took back and doubled down on. Yes. When people were like, aren't you sure you want to take this back? She's like, "Mm, no. no." Um, Shows that they are a punk band in spirit. And that's beautiful. And also your point that they, it wasn't inevitable for them to make an amazing, amazing album in response. Cuz it's much easier to shut down when you're be- I've certainly I've never been attacked like that or any most public figures haven't even really. So it seems much easier to shut down but they clearly had sort of like the fuel of their conviction and I do know what that feels like and I think we all do with things that we've done or or made or thought. Um and you can really feel that in that album. And so I just think that's, I don't know that's something I'm, I'm grateful for and appreciative uh, appreciative of all these years later.
0: Me too. We don't take it for granted. Love it. Okay. So we've done category one albums, category two global events. Let's go into category three.
2: Okay. Category three. So here's the deal. Sometimes it feels obvious and inevitable that someone will be a star like Justin Timberlake from NSYNC, who we used to love and now hate and Beyonce from Destiny's Child, who we used to love and still love. But sometimes we get surprises and breaking up a band is one of those. And it's so chaotic and truly impossible to predict. So we're gonna do one example from this category, and that is bands breaking up. Yes,
1: so this might not be what you're thinking. We are in fact not talking about Harry first. Uh, We will be talking about Beyonce going solar after Destiny's Child. So what happened? What's interesting about Beyonce and Destiny's Child is that they kind of broke up twice as all good relationships do. In 2001, Destiny's Child announced they would pursue solo careers. In 2003, Beyoncé released Dangerously in Love. Obviously, Beyoncé went on to be arguably the biggest solo artist of our time and launched her career during this in-between time. But we also want to make sure we have context. Both Kelly Rowland and Michelle Williams, not Michelle Williams nominated for The Fablemans, but a different Michelle Williams. Not Dawson's (laughs)
2: Creek, Michelle Williams.
1: Did release solo records in 2002. It wasn't just Beyoncé, okay? Then in 2005, Destiny's Child released Destiny Filled. After that, they announced they were breaking up, and Beyonce released B-Day in 2007. Kelly and Michelle have gone on to be relatively successful. Kelly has had some great hits, most notably in 2011's iconic sexy dance song Motivation. Kelly has put out four solo albums, and Michelle has just put out three. They haven't completely fallen into obscurity by any means, but of course, Beyonce just looms so large. So some things I felt inevitable about this moment, Beyoncé's solo career and that it was and that it would be so successful. She just had that star power immediately and was so clearly at the standard of of the group. And I think also uh, Jay-Z and her relationship with him also, one could argue, also elevated her to a lot of success too um, with Bonnie and Clyde from 2003. Uh, Some things that simply weren't inevitable because actually... Nothing is. Kelly and Michelle coming out with albums before Beyonce did. Beyonce waiting nearly two years after they broke up for the first time to release hers. Beyonce's first solo record being a feature on Jay Z's song, 03 Bonnie and Clyde, rather than her first record being a song with just her, which is something I mentioned earlier. And Beyonce being in two movies before ever releasing an album. How could one forget her incredible starring role in Austin Powers? And in The Fighting Temptations, she's a woman about town. She, you know, was 20 years ago. As one does, they not only sing, but they they act too. And she, beautiful now, beautiful then. Mm -hmm. And the biggest one, The Destiny's Child would come back in 2004. Does that feel as a surprise to you too?
0: Yes. (laughs) I feel like I had honestly forgotten that. They like actually broke up in 2001 because that feels so early. Like I feel like 2001 feels to me in my head, my brain timeline, like the height of Destiny's Child. But no, they were broken up, and then they got back together. And I remember Destiny's Fulfilled. Destiny fulfilled. That was a great album. I asked for it for Hanukkah, and I got it. And so I really associate it with like winter of I guess that was like oh five oh six. And then they broke up again, which is just interesting. I mean, it seems like that was kind of always the plan. It doesn't seem like they changed their minds. It seems like that was kind of the plan. But yeah, I just think that's very rare for that to happen to a band in that kind of specific way.
1: Yeah. Often I wonder when things like that, it's like, was there a contract they forgot about? Was a producer like, hey, you got to do this? Like, was there like something that they were with uh, that they like were obligated to do?
2: Yeah. And I think, so I would still say that I think at least part of 2001 was still the height because they still had, they still had, um, singles that year and very, they were coming off of the, like, the, like truly Y2K music video theme of like looking like you're dancing inside of a spaceship or a computer hard drive. You know what I mean? But that was still going on then. Um, I I don't remember feeling that surprised because I I a lot of groups were breaking up around that time. I am surprised actually a little bit that 2001 was the end. I agree. I feel like it was maybe like a little bit later, but that's not true. Um, I do feel like, you know, when NSYNC announced that they were going on, on hiatus, they were kind of like, but we might be back and stuff. And there didn't seem to be that we knew of um a huge like interpersonal reason why destiny's child broke up so when they got back together i was like oh okay cool but then when they did get back together it felt very very quickly that like this was the last this was the last hurrah really and i mean destiny fulfilled is (laughs) sounds very final but also just some of their songs which i did like uh but i think i think cater to you was one where I was like wait what like it was a jam but it was also
0: like the opposite of bills 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 or an independent woman, independent part woman part one, I mean and, yeah and bills 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 yeah
2: and bugaboo and you know a bunch of songs um which is fine but I was like I don't know where we go from here and it does <laughs> seem like destiny is fulfilled and so <laughs> maybe maybe we're done now um so yeah I did absolutely forget that Michelle and
0: Kelly released albums first. Yeah, me too. Mm, Totally, totally. Until we were putting this timeline together. Mm -hmm. So what does this tell us? Well, I think when bands break up, it feels
1: like anything can happen. When you look back, it feels inevitable that Beyonce would be the biggest star, but we know that nothing is. She really was focused on everything, music, fashion, perfume, acting, la-di-da. She was launching a brand. Now she represents, in a way, the ultimate artist who can meld pop and popular music with cutting-edge art. Her commitment to music and celebrity as art was not immediately apparent. They were crumbs of it all throughout her early work, but it wasn't until her album 4, and maybe even her 2013 self-titled album Beyoncé, that who she is today really came into focus. Sometimes you really do need to break free in order to fulfill your own destiny. Gorgeous. (laughs) Tears are in my
2: eyes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow. Becky's like, tears are in my eyes from the thing that I just said. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And as you know, we are breaking up.
1: So be prepared. Be
0: prepared. So I have to say, in getting ready for this episode, I watched um, an interview that Beyonce did on Le- The Letterman Show about Destiny's Child breaking up. And It wasn't like the cringiest thing I've ever seen in terms of interviews, but it really made me understand why she just is like, never going to do an interview again. Like interviews are brutal. They're just brutal. And especially back in the day when she was just doing them, like, I don't know. I don't think that, you know, the hosts these days are so much better, but it was just really, it was like a little uncomfortable to watch. But one of the things, you know, he like, she comes in and he's like, "Oh, you smell so good." And she's like, "Thank you. It's my new perfume." Like she and it just reminded me of how much she really was hustling at this point to build her brand as just literally anything celebrity. And I just so associate her as a music artist right now. I know she has Ivy Park. I know she also, like, you know, produces new talent like Chloe and Hallie. but I don't know. I don't associate her with perfume. I, and I don't associate her with acting anymore. Although she, you know, she's done a number of things. Dream girls came not so far after, and she was amazing in that. Um, but yeah. And I I don't know. I, it was just like really reminding me of how like she, we feel like her career is inevitable, but she, you know, if she were to do an interview with the B sides, for example, (laughs) I bet she would tell us that like none of her stardom feels inevitable to her that like she saw every counterfactual at every point of how like she could have just been a part of a nineties girl group that like when that, when that kind of style faded, she was gone too. and now her, like, she's one of the biggest stars in the world. And I think she really like made that happen for herself.
1: Hannah, what artists do you associate with their perfume? Just a question. <laughs> Um, you made that such a definitive statement. You're, you're like, so Beyonce, funny. I never think about perfume, but I'm like, what artist are you like?
0: I kind of think about Ariana Grande's perfume. I, was, I knew that's
1: what they're going to say. You think about Ariana yeah. Grande?
0: <laughs> no, I mean, like I, I remember that Taylor Swift had her perfumes, although she doesn't anymore. You're right. I don't have a lot. And of- there
2: was a time, I mean, this was a different time, but Britney used to have like iconic yes. perfume commercials and so it's i I agree. It's not like the number one thing, if, hopefully, <laughs> if they're doing
0: a good job as a music artist, but like it is it is something. And I don't even associate her with like her sub brands, I guess is also what I mean. Mm-hmm. I just don't even with even with Ivy Park,
2: yeah, I think another thing that's interesting about this is that Beyonce absolutely could have gone off and had a solo career that didn't involve that involved her being a a much more approachable celebrity who still does interviews and goes on Instagram live and is a huge star, but like takes fan questions and, and she could have done all of that and still been very successful. But since the album Beyonce, she really, and like you said, starting with four, like there were signs of it. She's really gone into this deity direction where she beams down to give us some art. She never does interviews. We miss her, we miss her interviews, but we get it. Interviews are horrible and I don't enjoy them either. Um, and, But she didn't have to do that. And she is doing it at a time when it's in some ways harder to do that than ever because so, like there was a time when more celebrities were like that because we yes. didn't have access to them all the time. And we didn't have social media and we just had award shows and magazines and like these big interviews and things like that and she's doing it at a time when so many people are showing us like more of their lives or at least you know what they want us to see all the time giving us all content at all hours um and i just think that's that's
0: very very interesting and by the way beyonce if you're listening. We are curious about the Renaissance visuals. No pressure. Just like we're curious about them. We're just curious. At the time of this recording, we do not have them. See, she can do whatever she wants. She doesn't have to release music videos. Yeah. She's totally. at another level. Mm-hmm. And we wish Kelly and Michelle the best. Always. Always. Um, we I love Michelle. Want- I just had to say
2: Michelle's yeah. bridges. Oh. Just a moment for Michelle's Bridges in and, and a lot of these songs. Incredible.
0: I definitely have like an early pop music analysis memory for myself of like listening to Destiny Fulfilled and feeling like, could there have been even one song where she'd sing a verse? Like even just one. Like I remember thinking it was genuinely fascinating. Like they're not even like pretending. I just, she only sings Bridges and every Bridges, every Bridge is sang by her sung by her I had a hard time saying that sentence but you understand what I'm saying yes
2: okay one so one more follow-up question before we and then we will move on the the video of them walking out on stage where she falls and Beyonce and Kelly just like (laughs) look at her with disdain did that clarify anything for you or not really
0: I mean I guess yeah right yeah but they also they do have like if they hate each other they're much better at hiding it than other bands really good at hiding it really good yep don't you think yeah yeah (laughs) and I would guess that they do not hate each other at this point
2: but who knows for sure I agree though they're if they do they're great at hiding it except for that one uh,
0: moment (laughs) I'll link that video in the show notes uh no don't give it more views don't you don't think I should no you can whatever everybody click it but click
2: it once just once just once (laughs)
0: Okay, so as we're wrapping up this category of bands breaking up and artists going solo, here are just three others that we wanted to share in this category. The first is In Sync. Each of those members have their own inflection point. That's not true. Not all of them have an inflection point from this. Some don't. Um, One thing that's interesting is like the non-stardom of JC Chazay. I feel like he actually was set up for somewhat of success. Like he is very talented. I think he... Yeah, I think he could have had a really interesting career, and he just didn't. So, that bummer for him. I hope he's fine. Yeah, that first song
2: that he came out with, everyone was just like, "Oh, what was no. it like?
0: Ladies kissing each other? What was it called?" <laughs>
2: I remember that. Um, I forget what it was called. Uh, Wasn't it we about look ladies? Because it it's and I think it's annoying to be like, "What was it called?" While we have the internet at our disposal, I can't spell his name. That's good.
0: Oh, it took me like well, six okay
2: blowing me up with her love. I think that was it. Oh,
0: wait, is there a ladies kissing ladies song? Or-
2: <laughs> I have no idea. Why was his debut oh my- studio album called schizophrenic? That's
0: kind of fucked up. That's I mean, 2002. Hello. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, what? A, what okay. We we're gonna do this rapid fire. We still will. But I'm like, what? Oh, if you're trying to launch a brand for yourself after breaking up from your band? You shouldn't have an album that's like, first of all, schizophrenic is ableist, but second of all, it's like, makes it impossible to know who you are. Cause the whole point is that you're a bunch of different things. And it's like, how about you just tell us who you are? Because we're trying to figure out who you are in this post break. Like now you have the
2: chance. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think maybe the follow-up single, which came out in 2004, that's kind of later is that you're thinking of is some girls in parentheses dance with women. Is it yeah. that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> how do
2: you remember that? I don't. I, don't I literally looked it up because I was no, like, "It's a be- but she knew. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, she didn't or pop. Yeah, yeah, pop- I don't know. Music how you historians,
0: know you guys, that's our jobs.
2: <laughs> You're like, I have different words in my head, but the concept is there.
0: I remember thinking it was like, like off. I like, I don't, I wasn't super like, uh, you know, woke about sexuality and in and, and culture. But I remember thinking like, who are you? Mhm. sing this song.
2: Well, I'm just uh I'm just reading about how this song's lack of success has been attributed to the content, which is seen as fetishizing bisexuality for the male gaze. So I think you were onto something in 2004.
0: I mean, or I read an article about it in 2014, for example, and you know, <laughs> forgot when that opinion first latched into my brain. Mhm. Sorry, JC. Um Another one in this category is Fifth Harmony. Um, I think it's interesting that, that Camila Cabello, she's not, she's no Beyonce, but she like, you know, she's still making music. She's certainly a celebrity. She's like, you know, doing more than, you know, the the lovely Allie Brooke, for example, another Fifth Harmony member. So I think the con- the continued staying power of her is interesting. And I think as we always talk about, the not quite stardom of Normani is also fascinating. Go to episode 50 if you want to hear us like really talk about Normani again and again. Um, And then, of course, the other in this category that could have been not only a whole bullet point in this section, but a whole episode in itself is One Direction. Um, Unlike in Sync and unlike Fifth Harmony, each of those boys actually has like that moment being an inflection point and what happened after for them. I think Zayn's immediate rise to fame and then followed by an immediate fall is very fascinating. Harry Stardom, of course, is fascinating. Niles surprisingly amazing singer-songwriter career that now landed him with like a vogue beauty secrets video this week. And like he's a voice coach. Like, you know, he's killing it out there. So all of that, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of inflection points when a band breaks up, the constellations of what can happen from there, you know, are there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. All right. And the Backstreet Boys just continue
2: to go on hiatuses occasionally, but come back together.
0: Yeah, but they don't have, they've never come out with a new album, right? They just like are riding high off their old stuff. Um. They did. I don't think they've oh.
2: come out with one recently, but they have come out with new ones that just, I think, aren't good or just aren't, aren't <laughs> the moment anymore. You know? Got it. Sure. Okay. So our final category, category four, this is a category four <laughs> inflection point. Okay. Storm. Yeah. Uh, rapid fire catch all for other inflection points we didn't put in another category and that we aren't going to go into in depth in this episode. So thanks to some of you for suggesting some of these on Instagram. Okay. Ready? Go. Here we go. When Taylor Swift lost the Album of the Year Grammy for Red in 2014. The Jonas Brothers
1: 2019 reunion. Also Nick and Priyanka's wedding.
0: Rihanna's song Umbrella. Enough said. Inflection point.
2: (laughs) The bombing at the Ariana Grande concert and basically everything that happened to Ariana in 2017 to 2018 was an individual inflection point.
1: Yeah, I guess we're getting serious here. Demi
0: Lovato's 2018 overdose. Yeah, it's funny to be like Rihanna Umbrella and also bombing and overdoses. Pop music is complex, man. <laughs> it's a hard,
2: lot hard pivot. Yep. Hard pivot um, in tone. Okay.
0: I would say this one is a little less serious, but still serious. This is from Emily on Instagram, a reminder Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson's Super Bowl halftime show. Total inflection point for both of their careers, mostly Janet's.
2: Mm hmm. From Hadley, the rise of Jack Antonoff and him becoming ubiquitous in pop music writing. Agreed.
1: From Emma, Casey Musgraves blowing up with Golden Hour and the divorce from the divorce
0: album being meh. So true. Mm -hmm. And then from Jasmine, who, by the way, is known on Instagram as Black Bubblegum Pod, um, who's a great account. So give Jasmine a follow. She had two ideas for us. Michael Jackson's 1993 trial, and also when Kanye's mom Donda died—total inflection mm. points. So, what are our takeaways from this episode, Mimi Becky? Do you want to go first? Yeah, I think uh,
1: my takeaway is that inflection points are are good things. Yeah, for artists, I think they're necessarily. Um, I think at least the ones that you focused on are. Um, they're, they're use, they're good things that they like help rebuild an image or sometimes it's take a stand, but none of them, um, end up hurting the person.
2: Yeah. They're good. As long as they aren't something that kills you basically. <laughs> as Kelly Clarkson says, <laughs> she, does. she does direct <laughs> quote. Um, yeah, I think all of these just kind of reiterate how much is up in the air. And for me, it reaffirms the things that I want to tear down. And it makes me grateful for all of the good stuff in my life and in the world of the wide world of pop culture, you know? Totally. Yeah. Hannah, uh, did you have any takeaways or any additional thoughts from putting together this episode?
0: Yeah, I think that... um... I do think that like when we are consuming culture, when we're consuming music news or music itself, it, um, you know, there are a lot of moments that feel like a big deal, but then they get kind of like slotted into a very linear timeline in our brains. And it's just so helpful to take these moments and be like, okay, wait, like what are the counterfactuals of every one of these moments? Like nothing had to be the way that it is. And um, I think- It's just really useful to remember that, and I think yeah, there's just a lot of before and after moments in pop culture, like more than we really realize. And maybe, honestly, you can get like really big and just say that every single moment is a there's a before and an after from that moment. Um, I mean, yeah, I I think that you never really know what's gonna happen, but when you look back, everything feels like it's it slots into a narrative that makes sense because that's like how our brains need to be able to process an overall story, but especially when you're like witnessing something unfold in real time, it's, it's like useful and fun to think to yourself, like, oh, like what's a different way this could be going here. And then always, as we talk about like, what is the role of the consumer? We didn't talk about that a lot. I mean, we kind of did, especially in the Mariah example. Um, but you know, it's, it's good for us to be like smart consumers of music and music news and like, you know, be a part of shaping history or just shaping the way that you know a story is being told as it's unfolding about an artist in real time.
2: Love it. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I guess. And a moment like this.
0: Moment like
2: this. Every inflection oh, point. Is inflection a
0: point. First American Idol winner, please. Yeah. Oh amazing. All right. So that's our show. But of course, it's not the end of this conversation. We can't wait to hear what you think. Let us know on Instagram. Let us know on Discord. Send us an email, whatever you want. And if you have a second and you want to support us, please leave us a review on iTunes or on your podcast app of choice. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to the B-Sides podcast. We want to connect with you.
0: Check out the show notes to find our Instagram, Twitter, and join our Discord where you can link up with us and other progressives who love pop.
2: Please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already, and consider supporting the B-Sides on Patreon. Until the next time we cut to the feeling, I'm Mimi. I'm Becky.
0: I'm Hannah.